I want to share with you this is a message that's on my heart from John chapter 4. The message is entitled, if you have to have a title, which you don't, but I'm going to title it because I can't help myself. I would entitle this message, Awakened to the Harvest. Awakened to the Harvest. We've been fasting and praying for two weeks and specifically focusing our prayer on evangelism. We're asking God to use our lives and to use our church to see people come to Christ. That's actually our mission statement. Northwest Church is on mission with Jesus to see the lost saved and disciples made. That comes straight out of his great commission in Mark chapter 16 and Matthew chapter 28, Luke chapter 24. We're trying to focus on and do what Jesus said. That's our desire. We are the hands and the feet and the mouthpiece of Jesus to a world that needs a savior and a redeemer and a healer and a deliverer. And if you're in the room, you've probably found him and you know that he's as good as he says he is. And so you and I, we want people to know the one that we've come to know. And so we've been praying specifically that we would see more people come to Christ. We don't just want to let that go. One time I got the privilege to be around a man of God named Reinhard Bonnke. It was a great privilege to be there for a week at their offices before he passed away in Orlando, Florida. And one of the things that he said while we were there, he, he had to get up out of his chair to look all of us in the eyes and make sure that we heard him really, really well. He said, the, the church that ceases to save souls is a church that ceases to be blessed by God. A church that stops focusing on seeing people come to Christ is no longer doing what the New Testament says our mission is. And so we definitely want to be a church that's focused on evangelism and discipleship and all of the other things, of course, the New Testament calls us to do and to be as disciples and followers of Jesus. This last weekend, Pastor Darby spoke about the command to go, that Jesus commanded his disciples. And we are also recipients of that command. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I commanded. This is also a command to us. It's a great commission. And I, I uh, love the word and, and we receive that. And I was thinking about many of the things that Jesus said to his disciples along the way as he was for three and a half years ministering to them, that was his final commission. We call it the Great Commission. Before he got there, there were many things that he said to them that would make a lot of sense after he ascended, after he, the Holy Spirit came. And one of those things in, in my mind is, is, is something that brought a revelation. We see it here in John 4. We see it in Matthew chapter 9. He was trying to help them see what he saw. He was trying to help them carry the burden that he had. Jesus lived life on the earth a certain way, with a certain mindset. His heart was, was, a, it was postured very specifically. And for three and a half years, he wanted his disciples to have the same heart because he was going to leave and he was going to leave his mission into their hands. We know this. And so at the end of all that, he commanded them to go. But to go and do, to do what? To make disciples, to preach the gospel, but that was predicated on and built upon the many other things that he had said to them. And I want to share one of those things with you tonight. Evangelism is not popular. Teaching people, teaching the church to share the gospel and to be passionate about sharing the good news of Jesus is not popular. You say, Pastor Ben, how do you know that? So glad you asked that question. It was in your heart. I perceived it. I know it was there lurking somewhere around the soul area. I taught 
uh, I started a school called Immersion Discipleship School. I brought it to our church, and we've revamped it, and we're, we're just beginning now. But I taught eight classes all the way through in one year. I did that three years in a row. I personally taught all the classes. And one of the final classes was the class called Evangelism. And how many of you know that we had the least in attendance at the class called Evangelism? And I remember having to pray through that and think about it because I thought this is one of the most important things and yet it's one of the least attended. It is the least attended class. And I realized something in, in that moment that it wasn't that the church was missing the understanding of what Jesus said, but there was a, a revelation that I felt like was, was missing from potentially this, this part. And sometimes it's that we push off the responsibility, the personal responsibility. We're all a part of the church and we know that it's the church's responsibility, but we can separate ourselves from what that looks like and what that means for us. It can happen. We compartmentalize. In fact, it can happen very quickly, very simply. And so we tend to, at times, one of the reasons is we push off our responsibility personally to be a part of the Great Commission. And we don't carry the same revelation that Jesus had. Now, I want to tell you a story real quickly. Uh, there was a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was asked to do it. And everybody was sure somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job, but everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. And it ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. Well, I think it's time for everybody to do what everybody is supposed to do. Amen? And I, I want to tell you that this is an hour where God is awakening his church. He's awakening his church. He's giving us the revelation of the word. He's illuminating it. He's causing it to come alive in our hearts. That it's not a struggle and a strive and, and a manufacturing and a making happen. That he is actually causing our hearts to be alive, to show us what he wants to do. And he wants to give us the passion to do it. He wants to give us the power to do it. He wants us to not just be enthusiastic or, or maybe guilt-ridden. He wants us to carry the burden with passion and with zeal. And so he's awakening us. This word awakening is, is similar to just how you would wake somebody up. Have you ever been woken up by another person? Have you ever been shaken awake? Has that ever happened to you? Come on, just smile if it's true. It's not a pleasant experience. And I'm not suggesting that's the way that the Lord's going to do it, but he might. He might be shaking us a little bit, saying, you're not dead, but you look like you're dead, so I want you, to, I want you to wake up. And he's waking us up. And when it's interesting that when you've been sleeping for a long period of time and somebody wakes you up, you wake up, you're all discombobulated and disorganized, and you don't know up from down or left from right. I've told this story, I think, before, but I can remember being late one time, and my wife was, she usually gets up earlier than me, she goes to bed earlier than me, and we just have a different sleep schedule, but we still are friends, and we have, uh, we do sleep in the same bed together and all that, but Anyways, we, uh, we just have a different sleep schedule, and we've accepted our lot in life. Some of you are the same. But anyhow, we, uh, every now and again, she might realize that a, an alarm didn't go off, and this was, of course, years ago. This hasn't happened any time. This was like 20 years ago. We weren't married for 20 years, but the, you understand. It was just exaggerating. 
But she would just yell up once in a while and say, hey, aren't you supposed to be somewhere? And when that happens, it was like I was awakened out of my slumber and I would just literally like, you, you just kind of see somebody just jump out of bed like they're in the Olympics, you know, and, 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 and I'm like banging into walls, just boom, boom, bam. You know, this is not productive. This is not helpful. It's hurtful. But I, I think God, we're hearing his voice and sometimes when you hear his voice and he's waking us up to what he's doing and what he desires and what his word has already said, we kind of like are, are disorganized. Like, oh my gosh, like where have I been? We've, we've, been, we've been sleeping. And so we don't want to get caught up in feeling guilty maybe about us being asleep, but we do want to own the fact that we need to be awake right now. He's awakening us to the harvest the book of Proverbs, King Solomon is giving his sons and those who would listen to his wisdom many things. He's talking to them in chapter 10 specifically about the fruit of hard, honest work versus laziness. And this, I believe, applies. Listen to this verse, Proverbs 10, 5. He said, he who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in a harvest is a son who acts shamefully. I want to say that again. You get where I'm going tonight. He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in the harvest is a son who acts shamefully. And what I'm saying by this is that we need to be awake in a time of harvest. That's what Solomon is saying, that a son who acts shamefully is a son, when there is a harvest upon you, they are sleeping long hours. They're not waking. They don't realize that you only have a period of time to gather in the harvest and to make sure that it doesn't spoil. So Solomon is saying to his sons, one who acts shamefully is someone who doesn't do what they need to do at the time when it needs to happen. And I would tell you tonight, I believe the Holy Spirit is is not just waking us up to love God in a personal way, but he's calling us to love him in also a practical way by reaching the lost, by seeing people that are lost found. And I think John chapter four shows us this revelation that sometimes is missing, and I wanna share it with you tonight. Let me give you some context for John chapter four before we read the passages, verse 27 to 48. John 4, Jesus and his disciples are traveling from Jerusalem to Galilee. And the quickest route, as many of you know, for this journey is to go straight through Samaria. If this is where they are right here, this is Galilee, and this is Samaria. If they were to go straight through, that's the quickest route. But most Jews, if not all, would travel around because there is a hostility and a hatred that exists between Jews and Samaritans, and they believed that they were to encounter, a Jew were to encounter a Samaritan, it would defile them in a sense. And so they would take the trip around Samaria instead of go through it. But in verse four, John chapter four, Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. He said, I must go through Samaria. Scholars debate over what he means by this, but we just know Jesus does not have a problem with doing the things in his day that other people had a problem with. And he did it for a reason. Jesus wasn't just going to meet this woman at a well. He specifically wanted the disciples to be with him when he traveled through the area that no Orthodox Jew would go. And so that's what they do. He says, I have to go through Samaria, and they stop at a city in Samaria right outside one called Sakar. 
And Jesus rests by a well. We would refer to that as Jacob's well. And he rests there while the disciples go to get some food in the city. And he's there by himself alone. And it's about noontime. And there's a woman that comes out to draw water from the well. And at noon, this is not a time in that type of weather where someone would come out to do such a thing. That's not the time to draw water. So it's obviously suspicious why she would, should, she would do that to avoid other people. There's a reason for that. So she comes out and Jesus is there and he begins to interact with her, which was basically forbidden and something that would not happen. But he reveals to her, long story short, that he is the Messiah and further confirms this by giving her a word of knowledge. He says to her, go get your husband. And she says, I have no husband. And he says to her, you're right. And the man that you're with right now is not your husband and you've had five husbands. And she says to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And he says, and much more than a prophet. And he reveals that he is the Messiah and he's offering her living water, a fountain of water that would spring up in you and cause you to always have your thirst for other things in life. He's drawing a metaphor from the whole well and water situation that they're a part of. He's saying, what the water that I give would cause you to never thirst again. And she's going back and forth with him until the moment of revelation where he tells her in, in lesser terms, I am the Messiah. And with this word of knowledge, she's blown away and she wants to go tell everyone in Samaria. And before the Samaritan woman can leave, the disciples come back. And then I'll pick up the story here in verse 27. Listen to this, verse 27, chapter four. At this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet nobody said, why, what do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men of the city, come see a man who told me all things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? She's genuinely asking, is this the Christ? And she embellished a man that told me everything that I had ever done. This is how she felt. Okay, sometimes an encounter with God will make you feel a certain way. And when you try to communicate it with someone else, they just don't get it. And so all you can really do is sort of exaggerate. Well, he told me everything that I've ever done. And people are like, could that really be? Well, he could be the Christ, don't you know? And then this is what happens here. They went out of the city and they were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Don't you love how Jesus is, now he's deciding to make the metaphor come alive. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. And look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. I love this story, but there's something here that I think can often be missing that Jesus is trying to give to them. He's trying to give to them a revelation about reaching the lost because they're clearly missing 
something that he has. They're clearly missing something that he has, and he's wanting to give that to him in this situation. And so tonight, if you're, as you're here, and we're here together, and we've been praying to see the lost saved, we've been praying to see more evangelism happen, we've been praying that we would share the good news and have open doors and to see people come to Christ, as we are praying that, I want to submit to you that while you may know that you need to go, and we know that, I believe that the Holy Spirit could add to us tonight a revelation that would actually help us enable us, empower us to take next steps in being bearers of the good news. And we see it right here as Jesus is shifting the disciples' focus and their heart to see the harvest that's in front of them that they can't see. See, their perspective was all different than his, and so he's waking them up. He's shaking them up. I need you to see it. I need you to know what I know and, and walk out what I'm telling you. Three, three things just observations of this passage. Number one, we must hunger for what Jesus is hungry for. The disciples were confused that he was talking to this woman and they just moved on because nobody wanted to say anything to them. You can imagine this. They've had many dumb moments and they didn't want to create another one. So nobody was going to take that job of asking Jesus why he was talking to a woman and a Samaritan woman at that. They didn't do that. But here's what it says in verse 32. After they said, Jesus, you need to eat something. Jesus responds, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. I want that to sink into our minds tonight. Jesus looks at his disciples and now he's talking about something different. They're talking about natural food. They want Jesus to eat. That's why they went into the city and they came back with some Subway and some Starbucks and they want Jesus to eat. They know he's gotta be hungry. He's out here by the well. Of course he's hungry. That's why they came back with all of the Subway sandwiches. Jesus, you need to eat something. And he's trying to shift their focus because they're missing what's right in front of them. They just moved on. Nobody's gonna ask him why he was talking to her. They just moved on. Let's just focus on something else. Then Jesus, you need to eat. And he's, he's not moved on. Amen. I wanna tell you tonight, Jesus is not moved on from his mission. There is no other mission. Jesus Christ has not moved on. He stayed true and focused on what he's always been about. We can't just move on as the church. We've gotta stay true to the mission of Christ. And so Jesus looks at them and he says, I've got food that you don't know anything about. I can imagine they're bumping each other. What is he talking about? They're the ones with the food. Jesus has got no food. They're still thinking naturally. And Jesus has already shifted back spiritually. I've got food that you don't know anything about. His priority is spiritual, not material. It's people. It's not places. It's souls. It's not status. Jesus is saying to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. There's something that I'm hungrier for, and I need you guys in this moment where you're thinking about your stomachs, I need you to think about something that is spiritual. I need you to grasp this. I can't have you moving on. You've got to stay focused on what I'm trying to show you right now. There's a revelation coming. There's a revelation coming that Jesus is bringing to them. And friend, can you be honest today that sometimes we just move on? Sometimes when we're talking about evangelism, sometimes we're talking about reaching people, broken, hurting, lost, desperate, dying people, people like us, people like we used to be maybe. And we just move on. Well, let's just talk about the other thing. You know, let's talk about how much he loves us. But come on, his love is enough to share too, right? 
It's not that we have loved God, it's that he has loved us. And it's out of our overflow of love for him, though, that we want to love other people and share the gospel of Jesus with them. But he hasn't moved on. And he's talking to them using this metaphor of hunger. And I think that's one we can all relate to. It's funny to me how they go to get food, they come back, and now they're talking about natural food. And he's just going to use whatever metaphor relates to these guys because clearly they're all about the food. And so he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, guys. He wants them to inquire. He wants them to ask more. He wants them to understand this is an invitation. This is a moment for you to ask more questions, not to move on to just have, to have dinner. Hunger is an interesting thing, isn't it? it? Hunger will take you where curiosity will not go. We can, we can know about the thing we should do, but you have to have a hunger. Jesus says, I have food that you don't know anything about. I'm hungry for something that you're not even talking about right now. In fact, you're missing it. The woman that you saw and where she went and what you're about to see because they're about to come out to see me. The harvest is coming and you need to know that, that it's on the way. And if you're not ready and you're not able to see these Samaritans as they come the same way that I do, if you're not able to see them like I see them, you're gonna miss the harvest. You're missing what I'm about right now. Jesus wanted the harvest of the earth. This was not yet their desire. This was not yet their desire. See, they love to have the front row seat at the Jesus conference. Amen. They, want, they, they, they did. They loved traveling with him. I mean, he could just whip up thousands of meals out of five loaves and two fish. I mean, you never went without food. You were full of expectation. You were following the Christ. It was fantastic. Demons were coming out of people and he was preaching the kingdom. And even the Pharisees were humbling themselves. They're like, we've never seen such authority and teaching. And, and they were a part of that group. They were, they were attached to Jesus, walking with him. They were in his company and they loved it. But man, Jesus has now brought them into a very uncomfortable situation. They're not going to talk to Samaritans. They still have their bias. They still have something that's keeping them from seeing what Jesus sees and, and encountering this revival that he's going after. And part of that is not only that we need to be hungry for what Jesus is hungry for, but the second thing is we need to see people the way that Jesus does. We need to see all people the way that Jesus does. He says to them, do you not say there are four months and then comes the harvest? But I say to you, lift up your eyes, open your eyes. Open your eyes and look at the fields for they are white for the harvest. Listen, no doubt Jesus was looking at Sakar. There is no doubt when Jesus was talking to the boys, he was looking at the cities of Samaria and he was saying, lift up your eyes. You're not even looking at Samaria. There's this whole region filled with people that I desire to come to know me and you can't even see them. You can't even see them right now. I want you to see them the way that I see them. And I think it's an amazing thing because he's preparing them as he's saying, lift up your eyes. Stop labeling people and start seeing them as the harvest that they truly are. You understand, it starts with this desire to want the harvest of the earth like Jesus does, but it, then it grows into this having open eyes, carrying a burden and a revelation that Jesus himself walked with. He had no problem talking to the woman at the well. He had no problem ministering to anybody, but see, they had a problem. They had an issue. 
It was deeply embedded into them. Open your eyes, look at the harvest. Jesus is staring at all the cities that they wouldn't even set foot in. He's wanting to shift something in their hearts so that they can see what he can see. Jesus knew his disciples would not be hungry for a revival in Samaria unless they had the same sight that he did. And so we read in Matthew 9, 36, there were people coming to Jesus. And we actually see this another time in the gospels. There's all these people coming to Jesus. The disciples are burdened. The disciples are, have been busy. Jesus wants to draw them away and speak to them in a very intimate setting. Don't you love being intimate with the Lord? Don't you love having times in his presence? Don't you love just, it's you and Jesus and it's all about knowing him and walking with him and hearing his voice. Don't you love that? The, the disciples wanted that special time and this crowd is coming out to Jesus in Matthew chapter nine and verse 35 and 36. And it specifically says that Jesus, even though he was tired, even though he wanted to have some time with his disciples, some intimate time, even though all that was true, it says that he looked on the crowd and he had compassion on them. And he saw them harassed and distressed as those who were like sheep without a shepherd. I mean, this is a language that we don't use today, but it would be like someone saying, they looked upon all these people that were coming to demand something from him and they were already tired. They had already spent themselves it was already a late hour and they wanted to go away and have special time. They wanted to replenish, but Jesus looked on them and he didn't push them away. He had compassion because he saw in them something that the disciples couldn't see. I bet you the disciples looked on the crowd and went, oh my gosh, Lord, can we just, um, can we get this going quickly? Can we, can we have like a, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not sure what denominations have short meetings, but you know, <laughs> Can we just do a short meeting? You know, could we not be Pentecostal tonight or whatever? <laughs> could, could we do, could we do, in, in fact, can we just say that you're busy? Can we just tell everybody that you, the master needs to go and have, uh, and, to, and to have some food? Can we just tell them for you? They had no problem pushing even children away. You understand? The disciples had no problem pushing kids away. Jesus had a problem pushing anybody away. See, his burden wasn't about pushing people away. It was about drawing people in. It says he saw the crowd. He saw them differently than the disciples did. Don't you want to see people the way that Jesus does? The only way that we can see people the way that Jesus does is if we take our cues from Jesus. We, take, we can't take our cues from culture. We can't take it from politics. We, we cannot see people through the lens, the cultural lens, the political lens, or any other lens other than the lens that Christ gives to us. That is the only lens that we can properly see people the way that he does. And for us to be people that want to reach others, we have to have the same vision that Jesus himself had. We have to. And Jesus tells them, open your eyes, look, look, lift your eyes, look at the people that you're not able to see. Do we see them as inconvenience or opportunity? Jesus is always saying to his church in the days that we're living, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Burdens are great, friends. Burdens are, are always available to you and to me. Work and family and, and uh, I mean, just honestly, the burdens of our world today and, and, and the darkness that we live around 
the grief that we feel, the difficulties that we face. You can give yourself to those things. You can. We can give ourselves to those things. But there's something greater to give yourself to. There's something greater. And it won't be the convenient option. I just want to put it out to you right now in case you're hoping for that. It will not be that way. He didn't say follow the convenient way. He said follow the narrow way. Amen. That's what he talked about. Well, the narrow way is filled with inconvenient opportunities to serve Jesus in ways that put the flesh to death. But it does start with the way that we see. And the third point I want to make from this passage, and I'm, I'm done after that. I'm done. I, I would love some, some, someone to play behind me. Just I don't know where Josiah is, but, but the piano was just beautiful. Amen. I mean, I would preach from the piano if I could. You, I'll tell you the honest truth. I would just preach from the piano. It would be amazing. It'd be, it'd be a whole harmony melody. It'd be a, you'd, you'd love it. I think you would. There might be less people here next week. That's fine. That's fine. The third point is we must carry the burden that Jesus has to gather the harvest. Jesus says to them this comment, I have sent you to reap for what you have not labored. I've sent you to reap for what you have not labored. I want you to think about that. I'm sending you to reap in a field that you did not sow in. You are not the one that tilled the soil. You're not the one that broke up the hard ground. You are not the one that planted the seed. You're not the one that watered it. I'm actually calling you to reap the harvest. This this is your burden to carry. This is what I want you to do. Jesus ministered to the woman supernaturally. He gave her a word of knowledge. Don't you love words of knowledge? I love the power of the Holy Spirit. I was um, just in Idaho ministering this last weekend. I know you miss me. Thank you. Love you too. Amen. And I don't travel much anymore and go speak at other churches. And it was awkward because I used to do that a lot. And it was just strange to be away from my family. And I really didn't enjoy being away from our church I don't, I'm not even suggesting you felt the same way about me. I'm just saying I felt that way toward you. You know, let me sow the seed. Amen. That's how I felt. And it wasn't even about me preaching. I'm glad Pastor Darby preached, but I'm just saying, like, I just wanted to be in the room. I wanted to be around. I, want, I wanted to talk. I wanted to pray. I wanted to fellowship. I, I, I long to be with our church. I do. I'm not saying we're the best church in the world, but this is, my, this is our local church. We're part of the church worldwide, but I just, I just love it. I love our church, man. I feel the presence of God when I'm here. I, I feel love for everyone that's here. Even you could be new, and I'm like, I, I love you, man. I lo- I'm glad you're here today. It's just a sovereign thing that God gives, you know, when you're part of a family, and I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I wouldn't. And so when I was in Idaho, it was amazing because... Uh, I, I gave my best shot. Amen. I tried to represent you well. Okay. So I ministered a couple times and, and at the end I wasn't like dynamic. I didn't lean into that. I was just sort of teaching. And then I said, Hey, if you, anybody wants a uh, prayer, I would be glad to, I'll be over here and I'll pray for you. And then it was like, everybody lines up and I go, Oh, okay. Well, I might've said something good, but it was the anointing, right? It was, and then, I, and then we shut the whole place down, praying, laying hands on people. And what was amazing about all that was this. As people came, and I am who I am. I'm like, hey, my name's Ben. What's your name? And just, I'm just a person. I'm not trying to be the have and you're the have not. I don't live like that. I don't think the body of Christ should be like that. But the Holy Spirit gave word after word after word after word of knowledge after prophecy. 
healing. I mean, it was, I I just felt like all I'm doing is standing here. That's all I'm doing. The promise of God on my life has been, if you would just stand up, I'll show up. That's it. I've got a degree in standing up. Amen, right? The anointing is not something that you can earn. But you don't have to be a Bible scholar to learn how to stand up. Jesus says this comment to them. He said, listen, I have sent you to reap from a field that you didn't sow in. How hard could that be? I have just sent you to gather it up. That's all I want you to do. Do you think you can do that, disciples? Do you think that you could do that? Can you just go and get the crops? Is, it, is that it? Peter, you're not even going to get dirty. John, you can love the crops. You're full of love. We know that from your letters, John. You can hug the crops, John. Okay? Hug them all. Can you gather, can you gather the harvest? I've sent you to just go gather it. This is what I'm asking you to do. And don't you know that Jesus was saying this? When the Samaritans were on their way to him, he's prophetically preparing them and telling them, I'm already supernaturally at work. I just want you to show up. Can you show up? Can you stand up? Because if you'll do that, you can't help but gather the harvest. If you just stop hiding, if you just stop being afraid of talking to people or the people that you don't think you can reach because you're too old or you're too young or you're black or you're white or you're Asian or you're Hispanic or whatever you think you are, can you show up? Can you stand up? Can you talk to someone and you just don't know if they're going to even receive you and you don't know if they're going to listen to you? It isn't about that. Why don't you just start praying and ask for a word of knowledge? And I loved that. I was at this church and that's all I did. I just stood up and God gave word of knowledge and prophecy. It was all him. He was preparing people. He was ministering to people. He's at work in people's lives. He's already doing stuff in all of our lives. And so what we do is we show up on the scene and we often take credit for it, right? We do. We just like, look what I prayed for that person and blah, blah, blah. We don't know how many people prayed for that person. We don't know how many times they prayed and cried out to God and there was a convergence of faith and let's just call it what it is, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit of God came and did what he alone can do. And when he shows up, this is what people long for. The church of today that is relevant, friends, is the church that's desperate for God, that's willing to move in power and be inconvenienced to see God do what he's always done. The days of the dynamic preachers and all the perfect stuff that happens on a stage, all of that's going to be over. People are not impressed with all that anymore, but people will be impressed with what God does. And he says to us, I have sent you to gather the harvest. I want you to know I'm already at work. I've been planting. I've been tilling. I've been watering. And I want you to gather the harvest. I've got a harvest. And they are on the way. I'm awakening you to the harvest that is at hand. It's not coming. You say four months and then the harvest. I tell you right now. I am telling you right now. Can you see it? Can you hear it? Do you know it? Stop saying that people's hearts are hard. Stop saying that people are this way and that way. Stop saying that people won't listen to you. Realize the harvest is upon you. And when you have the same burden that Jesus has 
and the same mindset that Jesus has. Friend, you're gonna lead people to Christ. We're gonna lead people to Christ. You're gonna surprise yourself. But then you back up and go, oh, God's at work. I didn't know God was at work. That person didn't look very friendly. They didn't look very happy. See, what, you, what we didn't know was he was doing something inside them. What we didn't know is he was already preparing them. The devil wants us to judge by the flesh. The enemy wants us to look at people and judge by the outward, judge by our opinions, judge by our history, judge by our own thoughts. We know nothing. God knows everything. God knows everything. He knows the heart of every human being on the planet at the same time. He's omniscient. He has past, present, and perfect knowledge about every person. I mean, he just blows away every podcaster, every preacher, every person that has anything to say. He just blows them out of the water. Oh, I know why they do that. I know what they're looking for. I know what they're trying to say. I know where they're wrong. I know what they really need. He's already at work. Jesus is ministering to people everywhere we go. And we may not be called to go here or there, but we are called, all of us are called to go to some area. Samaria, you see what I did there? Samaria. Come on now. Come on, you like it. Now you're like, I didn't miss him. No, we, <laughs> you did it. <laughs> Stop laughing, you egg me on. It's not right. I blame you. I want to share this. I'm done. I, I know I was supposed to be. I'm, I am, I promise. I, I want to pray tonight. This is how I want to pray. And um, several years ago, I was at a conference with a guy and we were going to do a morning session. And, and that was when, back when I did that stuff more often. And, and uh, so we're in this room and we're praying and a friend of ours walks in the room and he, um, as he walks in the room, he just fell to his knees and he started to cry. I mean, this is like a 10 a.m. session. You understand it's like a discipleship track kind of thing. A friend of ours walks into the room and he just falls to his knees. He literally just started crying. We, he said nothing. We, we didn't hear him say anything. It was weird. It was, it, it was honestly, it was really awkward. Me and a friend of mine were in the room and we look at each other and we went. But as he began to weep, the Holy Spirit touched all of us. There was three of us in the room. The Holy Spirit touched us. And you know when the Holy Spirit touches you and it's overwhelming. There's no like, is this God? Is it God? Like, you're just like, oh my gosh. So there's, this is a moment. And it starts with my friend crying. As he's weeping, and my other friend and I, we went to the ground too. We, we, just, we just got on our knees. We, we couldn't help it. We kind of slid off the couch onto our knees like this. And I wasn't like crying, but I was like starting to like just tear up and, and this sort of like burden with tears begin to come like the whole, only the Holy Spirit could do because I'm not that way. And um, I had this elaborate vision. As I was closing my eyes, I just saw a picture of the globe and the globe was spinning just real fast, just fast. Like somebody was just spinning the globe. 
And all of a sudden, the globe would stop on like some nation of the earth, like the Philippines or India or whatever, and it would stop. And then the globe would go real slow like this. And I would see a picture of someone's face from that nation. And the Lord did this six or seven times, different nations, not, not in the United States, but just different nations on the earth. And it would slow down and I would see somebody. And every time I saw someone from another nation, my heart got bigger and I began to weep because I could see something that I couldn't see before. And the Lord showed me in that moment of crying and weeping that he was actually giving us, my friend and I, he was giving us his burden for the nations. And I didn't get it until later, but Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. And in Matthew 24, 14, he said, and this gospel must be preached in all the nations and then the end will come. And as I was sitting there encountering God, he deposited just a little tiny bit of his heart, just a piece. And I recognized I didn't have this burden the way that God gave it to me. I just didn't have it, but then it was imparted to me. And here's what I wanna say to you. I can tell you that you need to preach the gospel and it's true. But sometimes there's a revelation that is missing and God wants to give that to you. He wants to give you his heart. He wants to open our eyes. He wants to show us what he sees when he looks at people. Because when we see people the way Jesus does, we are drawn toward them and not drawn away from them. When we have the burden that Jesus had when he walked the earth that he was trying to give to his disciples, guys, you're, you're talking about food. I, I got food that you don't know nothing about, but I'm trying to give it to you. Open your eyes. See, he wants to give us that. He wants to give us that. Make disciples of all nations, not to be hindered by anything. Not to be hindered by anything. And the world will try to divide us. Oh yeah, it's coming. The world's trying to divide us. But friend, I'm telling you, Jesus, by his spirit, has reconciled us. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That we are compelled by God. Be reconciled to God, your heavenly Father, who has given everything so that you might come to know him. We have the ministry of reconciliation. I want to pray this tonight. I want to pray that God gives us that, if you have a missing piece, a revelation that will carry you into a place where you would do what you normally wouldn't do. You and I would say what we normally wouldn't say our hindrances, our reluctance, our hesitancies. You don't have to be an extrovert if you're an introvert. Amen. You don't have to be a Ben if you're a Jessica. All right. You be you. All right. But the unhindered version of that, that's filled with the presence of Jesus, whatever that looks like in the world that you live in, the place that you go, the people that you're to reach, but no excuses, no hesitancies, no reluctances. We lay that all at the feet of Jesus and we simply just ask him, would you give us your burden? Would you give us your sight to see what you do? Would you, would you, would you give us that compelling that we would never say no? We would always hear go in our hearts. Would you give us that? Amen. Do you want that tonight? Give us that revelation. Awaken to the harvest. You say four months, but it's right now. It's right now. Why? Because he's at work. Do you know that? Amen. He's at work right now in people's lives. Will you stand? Let's do this. Let's pray. I'm going to start to pray and I'm asking for you to pray with me. I'm asking for you to receive from the Holy Spirit. 
Let's ask Him to awaken us to what He's doing. Awaken us to see other people. Let's ask Him to awaken us with that spirit of evangelism, the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank You. Go ahead and pray with me as I pray. Father, we thank You tonight. And we ask You, Lord, that You would bring revival in our hearts. We have been praying for a couple weeks now that you would give us your burden. We've been praying, Lord, that you would fill us with your heart. We've been praying, Lord, that you would show us what you're doing. Father, we have been praying that you would open up our eyes and open up our mouths so that we might share the gospel with people, that we would be unashamed and, and not afraid. And Lord, maybe we would say tonight that there's something missing. There's something missing. And we're just asking, Lord, that you would lay hands on us and that you would bring that awakening tonight. We ask for it, God. We pray, show us the nations. Show us your heart for the nations. Show us your heart for this city, our neighborhood, our family, Lord. We pray that you would give that back to us. Some of us, maybe we lost it or we lost sight of it, but we pray that it would come back. We pray that the burden for souls would come back, Lord. We pray that that would be a revival that happens in our church. We ask that you would plant that seed in the ground the ground, the soil of our heart. Come, Holy Spirit, and breathe on this word. Awaken for the harvest. Come, Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.